Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. We're back for my seventh year and AJ's sixth, and uh, friends, I'm excited about it. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario. You can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's right near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome back my co-host for the last six years. AJ Schultz, how you doing, buddy? Any opening thoughts? I'm doing good, Paul. I'm, you know, it's uh, this one definitely snuck up on uh, snuck up on me a little bit. I'll, you know, seasons that that close already um, that we're going to start doing these. But you know, looking forward to an 82 game season. How outrageous is that? As <laughs> as the kind of baseline for what we're looking at. Just let's play 82 games, you know, and, and go from there. I love the prospect of that, AJ. None of this 56 games and limited attendance. We hope it's full crowds everywhere all across the nation in Canada and the United States. And we hope that uh, there's no issues at the borders. They're still dealing with the COVID in the background, I'm sure. But uh, we're back to the original setup of the divisions, AJ. So we're mixing all the teams back to where they were the year before last. I certainly enjoy Sort of, it. right? Sort of, Paul. We're, we're only half back to normal. We yeah. have some movement on the Pacific. We'll start with that, obviously, yeah. and I'll let you break that down. Absolutely. Uh, the eight teams now in the Pacific Division, AJ, good point. Anaheim, Calgary, Edmonton, Los Angeles, San Jose, the new Seattle Club, of course, Vancouver, and Vegas. So uh, some Canadian content in this division that we didn't see last year, and certainly the new club on the block makes it a nice, symmetrical 32 clubs. In the league, 16 will make the playoffs and 16 won't at the end of this season. And uh, we're going to talk about the different teams and the different forward combinations, defense pairs and goalie tandems. We'll go back and forth, AJ. Maybe I'll start with the forwards on Anaheim. But a note to our listeners, we're going to throw out some statistics that are based on the 56-game schedule last year. So if we say, for instance... The Anaheim team, Max Comfa had 33 points last year. It was in 56 games. We'll adjust accordingly for projections that we'll throw in from time to time based on the full 82 that AJ referenced. So without further delay, let's get right into it and talk about the Anaheim Ducks. AJ, this was a non-playoff team last year. And uh, they didn't make too many changes to their roster, which was something of a surprise for me. Uh, I'll ask you to chime in on that uh, before we get into the roster uh, of the Ducks. Were you surprised that they were not making too many moves? Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll answer that with a, a yes, but no. Um, I, I would have expected a, a few more shifts and in, in that sort of thing, a couple changes uh, of a little more significance for the club. But at the same time, there's a lot of young players here that could, you know, factor in and, and maybe it's time for them to, to get their chance to, you know, sink or swim, not to make any sort of pun when we're talking about the ducks here. But, um, you know, you've, you've got guys like Max Jones, 23 years old, Troy Terry, 24 years old, Sam Steele, Alexander Volkov, you know, that's just, just going through some of the forwards, um, you know, Josh Manson, although he's pushing 29 at, at these points, not not to say that's old, but in terms of hockey, he's, he's certainly not a rookie. So um, I, I do think there's, uh, you know, some guys that maybe they want to give opportunities to and, and see where it goes from there. But, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised, especially when you consider like right now sitting at like 13 million in cap space. Uh, so they have the, the availability to do some of that and that doesn't even you know doesn't even factor ryan kessler there's another 6.9 million in cap space they could get by uh you know once they put him on long-term ir for the year so 
Interesting strategy, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. AJ, let me take you through the forward combinations, and then you go to the defense pairings, and uh, feel free to comment on my picks for the forward lines. It's somewhat based on the work that you guys do at the home office and the research that I did as well in terms of what we put out on Rotowire's resources. For the depth charts, I encourage our listeners to take a look at that all year long. Every day we have updates going on because we're so plugged in, and uh, it's a great resource for people that are looking for daily fantasy uh, sports help and and that sort of thing, just to keep on top of things. One of the things that we offer, and I know you're intimately involved in that. So, uh, again, let's take it through the forward lines. We've got Max Comtois, Trevor Zegras, and Troy Terry on the first line. I'm looking for big things from Trevor Zegras, AJ. This This was a guy who dominated the U.S. landscape at college and in the U.S. development program and was a star at the World Junior Championships for a couple of seasons. Last year, he got his first cup of coffee, toiled at center on a depth line. I think he's going to be a top six forward this year and a candidate for the Rookie of the Year award. So I think a big season is in store for Zegris, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the leading scorers on this club at the end of the day. I think he'll be flanked by another youngster, Max Comtois on one side and Troy Terry on the other side. Modest point totals again for all of them, but I think each of them could see a, a step up, but a mega step up for Zegris in my opinion. They're backed by three veterans on, on what will be a second scoring line. Adam Henrique at left wing, Ryan, uh, Ryan gets left back for, uh, I guess, a swan song season. He took a pay cut to stick around. And Ricard, Ricard Raquel, who was a guy who was involved in trade rumors at the deadline, but is back for another turn with Anaheim. And uh, that's a solid-looking second line. In terms of depth forwards, I think the key guys here to watch are Sam Steele, who was, is a center who can uh, certainly push Getzlaff if uh, the old fella gets a little long in the tooth and starts to slow down. They'll move Steele up to that scoring line role. And Rick, and Jacob Silverberg is a guy who's played top six minutes in the past and could threaten uh, Raquel or Terry if they falter in, in uh, the right wing side of things. Depth guys beyond that, Max Jones, Derek Grant, and Nicholas Delorier. All guys that are destined for fourth line status, maybe third line at best. So that's the way I see it. What's your rebuttal there? And uh, take us into the defense if you don't have any thoughts there. Yeah, I think uh, I think you broke it down pretty well. It, like I said, young guys is going to be the name of the game there in the Ducks as they kind of transition from the Ryan Kessler, Kessler Ryan Getzlaff era into you know Zagreus, Comtois, and, and Terry. So. The one name I'll toss out there that could play a bigger role is Isaac Ludstrom. I think he has the opportunity to move up, uh, especially, you know, as a player who, you know, last year was really his first big taste of action. 41 games played. He had played 15 games in each of the previous two seasons. So uh, played more games this past year than he had previously. And I think he could challenge a guy like Adam Henrique for more opportunities on the defensive side of the puck. Um, this is where it's not too much uh, in terms of new names or, or new places. Uh, guys that, that have been here a while, Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson, figure to make up that top pairing. Obviously, Josh Manson uh, is you know kind of uh, more of your shutdown guy. He doesn't really get the power play minutes, although he has put up decent numbers in the past despite not uh, not having those power play opportunities. Lindholm, for his part is somebody who could factor in on the power play. Uh, His season was even more limited last year due to injury. He played just 18 games. So what are we going to get out of him? Uh, Some question marks there. Cam Fowler, Jamie Drysdale are going to be the second group. And Jacob Larson and Kevin Shattenkirk rounding out the third pairing, possibly Greg Petter to to factor in along the way. 
Shattenkirk, as we know, is a player that could be a power play option for them. He logged over two minutes per game with man advantage last year, kind of specializes in that role. I think at this point in his career, uh, and I would expect that to carry forward. AJ, you know what I like about this defense is that they have some guy, more than a couple of guys with some offensive upside. I know the mod, uh, the point totals are modest. You mentioned a couple of guys were limited by injury, but uh, I look for Cam Fowler to, to be the linchpin of the power play again. He led this group with 23 points in the 56-game schedule. Jamie Drysdale, a young guy to keep an eye on, he was a sixth overall draft pick a couple of seasons ago, and by all accounts, he will be given every opportunity to be a top-four defenseman here, and he's got an offensive pedigree big time so that's two guys you can look to in terms of running things but Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson quite capable as well even Kevin Shattenkirk is a couple of seasons removed from being a top offensive player in this league so no shortage of offensive help from the back end uh, is what I foresee here and uh, I think that's something of a plus when you look at this roster it might be the strength of this team in terms of the goalie tandem I know you're a big fan of John Gibson so I'll let you wax poetic about him but he'll be back he's been a workhorse for this club for years, AJ, and really uh, his resume should reflect some time spent in a rubber factory because he's sent, seen a lot of pucks in the last few years. I think it's going to be more of the same story this year in what looks to be a top-heavy division with some really good quality teams ahead of the Ducks in the standings who will really make some nights miserable for Gibson. And he'll be backed up by Anthony Stolarz, a guy that we've been high on for a couple of years on this show, and I think he's going to finally get his first real chance to play a significant number of games in Gibson's backup role. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Solarts could be a, a factor there, but ultimately, you know, this team is going to sink or swim with with what they get out of John Gibson, and he's coming off. I think what's fair to call his worst season of his career. Let's let's call a spade a spade here. Just nine wins. That's his lowest win total since turning pro um, back in the day. Uh, back in 2014-15 his goals against average 9.8 that's second worst of his career and the save percentage 9.903 which is the worst of his career so it's hard to say anything really good about what he did last year obviously as you alluded to Paul the team around him is weaker the amount of pucks he faces is certainly a problem so uh, there's some stuff that isn't necessarily going to change for him but I think nine wins we would have expected a lot more than that out of them. I'll take us into the Calgary Flames, Paul, and kick off with the forward combinations right off the bat. Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, and Matthew Tichuk, uh, the top group here, and and that's not going to change anytime soon. Pretty much what we've seen from this team in the past. Andrew uh, Mangiapane, Sean Monaghan, and Blake Coleman, who joins uh, from uh, off his back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, signed a huge Six-year deal, $29.4 million. So not a ton of money, but a lot of term given to to Coleman there. But obviously he's uh, maybe earned that with the fact that he's uh, a two-time Stanley Cup champion over the last two years. You know, you rounded out the third group, Dylan Dubé, Michael Backlund, and Tyler Pitlick joins the club as well. I think, uh, you know, one factor here in these groups is are you going to see Backlund or Monaghan uh, in that second line, I think that could change uh, on a game-to-game basis. I do think there's still the possibility that they would move Monaghan up periodically 
and shuffle that top line around a little bit. Um, but obviously, Matthew Chichuk needs to be a top six player for them. 43 points last year. Another good campaign from him. So, uh, Paul, any standout things with this forward group for you? Well, I'm a little nervous about Tuchuk. He made some headlines, whether it was rumors or him or his agent, that he wanted out of Calgary, AJ. And and, and an unhappy Matthew Tuchuk cannot be a productive Matthew Tuchuk, in my estimation. And I hope that they have that sorted out for for the sake of this franchise going forward, because he's such a key part. He's the heartbeat of this club off uh, off the ice and on the ice, in my opinion. And you got to have a happy guy be your team leader. And that's that's what I see for him. If he's happy and healthy, he could be a guy that gets upwards of 60 to in, in the 60 to 70 point range. That's what I, I see for him. Uh, Lindholm has to produce to stay in that number one role. You mentioned it. There are a couple of guys that are candidates there. So I think that would be a very dangerous pick to make early in your draft if you're looking for a number one center it's a little bit clouded in calgary so i would hesitate although if he plays in that role he's another guy to get in the neighborhood of 60 points gaudreau should be the leading scorer on this team johnny hockey has been such an exciting player for this club since he joined the league and uh, he had 49 points to top the offensive uh, part of this team last season Manchapani a guy that I, I think is a, a star on the rise too uh, and combined with Monaghan that could be a really nice looking second line I think Blake Coleman might be miscast as the second line right wing but he's probably the best of, of an ordinary lot so uh, his point total could rise if he hangs on to that role but he brings a lot of bite to that that opportunity as well and uh, Dubé uh, a guy that they've been waiting on could challenge Manjapan if he flounders and uh, is good insur- injury insurance for the top six wingers there Lucic still takes up a big bite in the in the contract uh, in the contract that he has and and uh, he delivered 23 points last year and not dropping the gloves as much as he did in the past. Still a very intimidating presence, though. So uh, he hopes to bring a little bit more of both to the table this season, I would suggest. Let's turn our attention to the blue line, partner, and look at a a six-pack that has some quality but also has some question marks for me. Noah Hannafin, uh, a couple of years removed from being a very high-end first-round draft pick, probably not lived up to those expectations. When I think back to, was Toronto going to pick him? Or Mitch Marner, I'm sure glad they picked Mitch Marner, uh, (laughs) a guy who's got over 100-point potential this season and one of the top uh, wingers in hockey. Hannafin, for his part, smooth-scaling defenseman, has the skill set to be much more of a point producer on the back end. Maybe he'll get more of an opportunity now that Giordano's out of Calgary. He'll probably be asked to be the linchpin on the back end from a scoring standpoint, but uh, we'll see if he can deliver on that. He's insulated by Chris Tanev, one of the better two-way skating defenders in hockey and a good guy on the defensive side of the puck in his own end for sure. They added Nikita Zadorov. I've been waiting on this guy to explode, AJ. I think there's a lot of talent here, and he's only scratched the surface so far. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse, but uh, that's a guy that I think will will have to take advantage of, of the opportunity here to be maybe the second best offensive-minded defenseman. He's got another guy with him who will challenge in that role in Rasmus Anderson. And behind them, that's where the question marks begin for me. Who's going to fill in that third-line depth role uh, on the defense pairings? Yusuf Alamaki and Andy Walensky are the best names that I could turn up, but I'm not inspired by either one. Yeah, I think, as you kind of alluded to, Paul, the, the question mark of who's going to replace Giordano is is the big one hanging over this club. And I, I think Rasmus Anderson is another name to keep an eye on for. He was second on the team 
in terms of point production last year with 21. Uh, Giordano was at 26, so really not that far off. So if he gets a few more minutes, a few more opportunities, potentially uh, with you know with the uh, uh, power play there, it, he could be a player to kind of uh, look at and maybe target you know, mid-round draft as kind of a sneaky uh, fantasy play for you. Between the pipes, it'll be more the same in terms of the starter. Jacob Markstrom will be back for another year, but gone is uh, Paul's guy, big save Dave Riddich, uh, and and Louis Domingue as well are are both gone here. And it'll be Daniel Vladder of uh, the Boston organization who comes in as the number two here. I don't expect him to really see much in the way of starts, you know, they, they did give up a third round pick for him. So it's possible um, that they're expecting a little bit more, but I, I think Markstrom will carry the load for them last year. You're talking 43 games played. That was one of the the highest in, in the league, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, right behind uh, Connor Hellybuck was the only other guy who played more games than Markstrom. And so I would anticipate much of the same, uh, and he's a player, you know, maybe even if you're down on Calgary, if you don't think they can have a lot of wins, I think it's still worth looking at Markstrom for drafting for the sheer fact that he is going to play a lot, a lot of games for them. I love that call, AJ. You make a great point. There's maybe a half dozen goalies in hockey that are going to play upwards of 60 or 55 to 60 games. I think Markstrom is one of those guys. And, and you have to temper that, and you also touched on this, that maybe Calgary's not the best team in this loop, maybe in the bottom half, but still, out of 60 starts, does he get to 25 wins? If he does, that could be a nice a nice uh, position for you to have a guy of his caliber in there. The goals against won't hurt you if he manages in the same range of last year of 266. So uh, a pretty safe bet to play a bulk of the games in Calgary and be one of the top busiest goaltenders in the NHL so great point by you there up next we got the Edmonton Oilers and uh, they made a big splash in getting Zach Hyman out of the Toronto for a big contract and AJ let's take a minute to look at that deal it, it's an eight-year deal it's going to surpass uh, Connor McDavid's current contract by a couple of years and it's upwards of five and a half million dollars I think they're going to be lamenting that in the latter half of this deal uh, because he's already a 29-year-old winger. I was a big fan of his in Toronto, but he didn't finish the season healthy in, in too many of the last two or three seasons. 33 points last year. I think you're going to see an uptick if he plays with McDavid and Pugliarvi on an explosive first line. McDavid's my bet to lead the league in scoring. Could he get to 150 points? That's what we wonder in a full slate. He got 105 last year in only 56 games. So the sky's the limit for him. And Pugliarvi is a guy who came back uh, to the NHL from uh, a stint in Finland and came back a new player. And he looked full value for being a, a top six winger. And he gets the start on, on McDavid's right wing. So that's the way that line looks uh, at the moment. They have maybe the second leading scorer in, in NHL on the second line. Leon Dreisaitl finished with 84 points last year. Could he get over 100 again this year? I think easily uh, because of his talent level and playing with McDavid on that power play. That's going to be hell for opponents all season long. His wingers project to be Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, who took a bit of a 
a hometown discount to re-up here for his lengthy contract renewal. And uh, they will partner with Kyler Yamamoto, who must be thrilled to be a top six winger playing in that company on the on the two forward lines. Beyond that, it's depth options galore in the bottom six and really not much of an offensive threat among them. you got Warren Fogle, who had 20 points. He's a new addition. Ryan, Derek Ryan comes across to the to the lineup with 13 points and then Zach Cassian if you're in a penalty minute league maybe he's the guy that you pick out of this group AJ but uh, they're loaded in the top six well Paul the one thing I'll say about the Zach Hyman deal and I you know I don't want to totally compare him to Ryan Nugent Hopkins because I do think Nugent Hopkins can offer more offensively has a little more flexibility in terms of where he can fit into the lineup but you consider the fact that RNH is one year younger and signed for one more year than Zach Hyman. These deals are actually pretty comparable. Um, and while you might say the term is, you know, figure both guys will be 36 when their contracts come up. Um, but, you know, by the time we get to the 2025, 20, 26 season, 2024, 20, 25 season, like paying in the five million, five and a half million range. I don't think it's going to be too um, too outrageous in terms of uh, in terms of the the cap hit there. So I, I actually don't hate the deal there, and and do think um, you know it ha- it has some upside to it. Uh, looking uh, ahead to the defensive pairings, we have uh, two old staples that'll figure to be the top pairing here in Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry, both of whom are coming off a solid seasons last year: thirty six points for Nurse, forty eight for Barry. Uh, but then we've got some, some new names to, to consider here in what figures to be the second pairing. You've got Cody CC who signed uh, a four-year contract with them has really, uh, you know, kind of revamped uh, a year in Pittsburgh seemed to revamp him from the, the down season that you saw in Toronto. Yeah. So um, obviously our perspectives here are skewed, Paul. I'm a Cody CC fan. You are probably not uh, based on what he did with our respective clubs. And then Duncan Keith on the other side here, this one of all the moves they made, I, I would say this one is probably the most head scratcher for me to bring in a 38 year old Duncan Keith while giving up a, a young prospect in Caleb Jones, a 2021 third round pick as well. And so I, I certainly had some question marks about this second pairing. Uh, which Cody CC are they getting is, is question number one. Toronto Cody CC would be a bust. Pittsburgh Cody CC, I think they would be happy with. From there, it'll be Chris Russell, Evan Bouchard, and Slater Cuckoo could also factor, um, you know, a couple other guys competing for that bottom pairing. And then, the you know, the expectation is Oscar Clefbaum probably out for another year, they're you know labeling it a very slim chance that he could play during this season, which is obviously disappointing for them. Paul, what do you make uh, specifically? You, we got to talk about Keith and CC. Uh, what do you make about those acquisitions? Look, CC is not going to be listed among the scoring leaders in, in defense this year. He's a steady performer. He'll he'll probably uh, be the defensive conscience on that pairing, allowing Keith to freewheel a little bit more than he has in the last couple of years. Keith was 
responsible for bringing along the young talent in Chicago in the past. He's got a veteran guy beside him, and maybe he takes more runs up the ice. He's still capable of playing upwards of 20 minutes. He averaged over 23 a game last year for the Hawks, and I think he could factor into the power play here too, spelling Nurse and Barry if they're slumping or just to take some of the workload off a guy like Darnell Nurse who plays so many minutes every game for this club. I could see Keith factoring into the power play, and if he does with any degree of success in that company, he's going to have a lot uh, a lot more points than the 15 that he finished with last year. But it comes with a question mark. He's 38 years old, like you said, AJ. There's a lot of miles on this body. The three-time Stanley Cup champion was a real key for the Hawks' success way back in their heyday. And uh, that may have taken a toll. He's he's taken a big bite out of the salary cap here, too. I don't like the contract for the next two years at $5.5 million. So for me, there's a lot of question marks around Duncan Keith. If he reaches the total potential and plays on the power play he could really be a breakout performer uh this late in his career after a couple of down seasons offensively that's the outlook that i have there evan bouchard's a guy that i keep an eye on too he's slated as third pairing minutes aj but he has some offensive upside to his game as well does he take the next step and does he become a part of that second power play unit himself so there are some questions on the back end but again not unlike the anaheim club that we highlighted off the top they do have some options in the back end that they didn't have a year ago so i'll call it an improvement in terms of the goalie pairing, we got uh, the same old, same old, and I don't like it, AJ. I don't like it at all. Mike Smith is a guy that helped me win our inaugural dollar bet. I'll be forever indebted to him for that because that's history in, in our friendship and our relationship on this show. But the guy's a little long in the tooth, partner, and uh, he's he's flirted with injury issues uh, the last couple of seasons. He did have a great statistical year, 21-6-2 for a 2.31 goals against I don't know how he duplicates that. And Miko Koskinen, that was bad money from the day he signed the contract. And a uh, 3.17 goals against average, he'll have to do better than that. And I think he'll have to play half the games on this schedule. I don't think Smith is capable of a, a workload over 50 games. That's my assessment there. Well, my assessment is I, I've never been a fan of Mike Smith, and our listeners know that. So <laughs> I'm not going to uh, to use your parlance from earlier. I'm not going to beat a dead horse and continue to talk. about my opinion of Mike Smith in the crease. And I'll move us on to the Los Angeles Kings, uh, who had uh, some pretty, uh, two really big acquisitions this offseason. They brought in uh, Philip Deneau, who figures to take on a second-line role, six-year, $33 million contract for them. Very similar to the other deals that we talked about in terms of, you know, term, age, and, uh, you know, the cap hit. Uh, to the two guys we talked about in Edmonton there. And then they also grabbed Victor Arvidsson uh, in, a, in a trade there. They gave up uh, a 2021 second round and a 2022 third round pick, which I think honestly is a pretty manageable low, you know, offloading here for a guy that's locked in to a $4.25 million contract the next three seasons. He had 25 points last year. And I think, will factor heavily in their first line. Speaking of those lines, I think it's Alex Iofalo, Anze Kopitar, and Arvidsson that will round out your first group. And there are some guys that could challenge for that on the second group. Right now we have Adrian Kempe, Philip Deneau, and Dustin Brown. But again, there's there's two other guys further down the group here that could push for more. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended, Trevor Moore being one of them. And then, of course, youngster Quentin Byfield. And I think he's one of the players most intriguing to watch 
to see what happens with him, how he can develop, where he can factor in here. Uh, looking ahead, you know, obviously uh, a very talented player that has worked his way into the, the NHL ranks now, and we'll see uh, where he can go from there. And then that other uh, player on there, Andreas Athanasiu, 23 points last year, um, and, and really another great acquisition. So this top nine is actually pretty good, and I haven't even mentioned some of the younger guys, Jared Anderson Dolan, Blake Lazat. Um, I, I think this top nine could be a challenge. And I think the biggest question that they'll face heading into the season is where these guys end up. I, I, I would say this top nine might be the most unsettled in the Pacific, a strong camp and Quentin Byfield puts his stamp on a spot further up the lineup. Obviously AA is a player that's capable of doing that as well, though. I like him in a third line role to spread the scoring out. So it's one to watch. And as Paul said, monitor, those situations throughout training camp uh, on the Rotowire depth charts. Paul, what do you say about this top nine? You know what? Uh, Kopitar and Dustin Brown must have looked around a couple of years ago and said, boy, it's still on us. But you made a great point. There's a lot of youngsters here that, that have changed the outlook on the team, and they added a couple of quality veterans to, to round it out. I, like you, am excited for the possibilities here. Iafalo is a guy that uh, it took a long time to, to take a step forward he has done that in my opinion he got 30 points in 56 games that translates to about a 50 point season I think the the Kings would love to see something like that out of him Kopitar can he deliver another first line performance like last year 56 points in 50 uh, 50 points in 56 games it'll be helped by the fact that he has Arvidsson on his wing and Arvidsson cast in a first line role here should see a big pop in his production from 25 points last year I expect a jump there can't be on the second line, 30, 29 points last year. I think you're looking at about 40, 45 from him. Philip Deneau at center on the second line, AJ, is the first question mark that I have here. Certainly we saw what he did as a, a defensively-minded center in the playoffs last year, absolutely nullifying Austin Matthews in that seven-game set that I'm still trying to forget in the first round. But Philip Deneau at a second-line center, I don't like that. For him here, he had only five goals last year in the 56 game with Montreal, and he had a lot of ice time there. I don't know if he can he can take a step toward a 45 point season. He'll need to do that to hold Quinton Byfield off. I think they're going to give Byfield every opportunity to get that second line role and allow Deneau to be a third line center, which is more in keeping with the guy that I think could be a shadow of opposing centers and take away any thought worry from him about having to up his offensive game and just continue to do what he does. I like your highlight of Andreas Athanasiu. He's a guy at 23 years of age. I mean, a young guy at about yeah, early 20s. I think he's about 23, 24. And, and Dustin Brown is 36, AJ. I think they'd love to see Athanasiu take that next step. You also mentioned Lizotte Villardi. They made steps forward in their games in the last season. Brendan Lemieux, an interesting guy too that could challenge. So there's a lot of flexibility in this roster and, and a lot of things that can be changing. And uh Jared Anderson Dolan, you, you corrected me. Athanasiu is 27. I'll adjust that. Thanks for looking that up, AJ. Uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, another youngster who could threaten a top, top nine role in this mix. So bottom line, the depth offensively has been much improved in, in Los Angeles. What about the defensive side of the puck? Uh, I've talked a lot, AJ. Why don't you take it back? <laughs> I can definitely do that. It's it's the same thing we're used to in terms of the top of the defensive pairings. It's, it's going to be Drew Doughty. But they did add a pretty big piece here in Alex Edler 
uh, in the off season, you know, just a short uh, one year, $3.5 million contract with them. And I think that's representative of the fact that last season was uh, for lack of a better term, a, a bust for Edler. He played in 52 games. It's not like he missed a ton of time. No goals over that stretch on 99 shots, eight assists. Um, but it was also the first time he hasn't been a factor on Vancouver's power play. He averaged just 17 minutes with the man advantage last year. I think with uh, this LA squad, he could find himself back there. Obviously, Drew Doughty is going to man the number one unit, and, and Sean Walker will have you know potentially something to say about the spot on that second group. But Walker, for his part, only had one power play assist despite averaging over a minute and a half per game uh, with, you know, with the man advantage there. So I think Edler really could help their power play here. Um, it's looking like in terms of pairing Mickey Anderson, will go with Drew Doughty. Sean Walker will pair up with the aforementioned Edler. And then a number of names, depending on what they want to use here, could round out the last group. Ole Mata's still there. Sean Walker, uh, Christian Wolanin's a factor, Matt Roy, Tobias Bjornfoot. So uh, a bunch of guys could factor in in the bottom. But for me, the biggest thing is is who gets that second power play unit. Uh, they could go with Edler and Walker. They could go with both guys. Um, but obviously the top unit and most of the defensive production will continue to come from Drew Doughty as it has for forever for them. Yeah, Drew Doughty re-upped for them, with them a year or so ago, and uh, he's in there for the long haul, and his production is still at a very good level. He was better than half a point a game, so you can project him upwards of 45, close to 50 points again, maybe with the upgrade offensively even higher than that. And Edler is a guy who's been a power play uh, contributor for years in Vancouver. Get the, I think he gets a chance to uh, do no worse than than uh, run the second unit behind Doughty. Maybe they partner them together and see what that looks like. And uh, it could be pretty formidable with the experience that both bring to the table. But beyond them, they're looking for some help offensively. And and really, I don't identify anybody here that is on my uh, list for for defensemen who will see a big spike in offensive production. I know Oli Mata has the tools, but I know he's in your Mike Smith Hall of Fame, and I can see you shaking your head <laughs> and, and thinking that this guy really has had ample opportunity in Pittsburgh where they have loads of offensive talent and didn't show it there. So why would he show it in L.A.? But I'm just throwing darts here at the bottom five or six names that uh, none of them exceeded 20 points last year. Sean Walker had 18, so maybe that's where you you throw the dart and say maybe this is a guy who can, can up his game offensively among the bottom uh, bottom few defensemen that should play a lot here. In the goalie tandem, Cal Peterson leapfrogged over Jonathan Quick last season, in my opinion, AJ. And the Kings should be happy about this. This is a young guy who they will turn to uh, for the next several years. Jonathan Quick took them through their glory years and really has been uh, also in a rubber factory here in the last few seasons. Uh, Both of them managed to keep the goals against under three last year. That's a good sign because I think this is going to be an improved team. I think those numbers could even go down. And you wonder if the split in net will be better than a 50-50 in favor of Peterson or Quick. I like to think that Peterson's going to get a few more games. I'll call it 45 to 37 in terms of the goalie split. AJ, I wonder if you think I'm on the right track here. Yeah, I do. And and some of that, you know, we haven't really heard much out of the Kings in terms of Quick's offseason shoulder surgery and, and where he is in that recovery um, and, and what that's going to look like. So I think at at best, 
Um, in, in terms of the, the Jonathan Quick fans out there, you would maybe hope for a 50-50 split at this point. Um, but I, I definitely think it could be significantly higher there. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's one to watch. And, and where Jonathan Quick in past years has been basically the, absolutely a guy you want to take in terms of uh, your fantasy contest, you know, a 60 uh, 60 game guy back in 2014-15 he played 72 games I mean come on but at this point I, I definitely don't think that's necessarily the the right track there all right partner we've reached the halfway point in this analysis we're going to take a bit of a break now and uh, before we continue let's have uh, a break and uh, you're listening to podcast with Statsman and AJ from Rotowire we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. You're listening to the podcast with Statsman and AJ from Rotowire. Before we continue, let's have AJ remind you how to get in touch with us during the week and during the season, for that matter, as we are into season seven of our uh, August program here. Absolutely, yeah. If you have comments, questions about, you know, you're looking at your keepers, your draft is coming up, any sort of fantasy hockey questions you might have or, or questions about your team, we absolutely would love to hear those from you. You can reach me on Twitter at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. Again, we're happy to share uh, the, you know, if we get some really good questions, we'd be happy to talk about those in an upcoming pod. Um, but we're always looking for that fan interaction and would love to hear your comments or questions about the show or anything hockey related. Well done. And uh, we'll continue now with a look at the San Jose Sharks. AJ, this is a team that uh, kind of was a black hole last year. One of the three California teams, all of them missed the playoffs. And I wonder if we're going to see an uptick here or not. I'll leave you to uh, rebut that uh, comment, but I, I don't think so. I think they're going to be mired in the bottom half of the league. They only tinkered around the edges in terms of what changes they made on the roster, except for in goal. And I don't think they made major upgrade there either. So let me go into the forward lines, and you can have your say at the end of my diatribe there. Evander Kane, uh, 49 points, led the offense here and uh, had a troubling offseason with some rumors that we don't need to get into here. But you wonder where his head's at. It's kind of like the Matthew to 
chip comparison for me, AJ. You want to have your team leaders feeling good about things and, and minds clear and really focused. I don't see that with Kane based on the headlines and highlights that I've seen in the offseason from him. So I think he's going to be hard-pressed to do much more than maybe 55 points this season. He had 49 in 56 games. There's a lot of talent there, but so far to me, he seems a little distracted this offseason, and I, I can't put any more value on him than that. Logan Couture is a guy that's going to carry the mail from the middle of the ice, uh, one of the two scoring line positions, uh, captain of this team, uh, 31 points in 56 games. I think he should see an uptick in his numbers to the point where he threatens the 60-point mark. He'll need to to drag this team into somewhat of a competitive space. Kevin LeBanc rounds out the forward lines on the right wing. There'll be some conti- competition in that role, but he's the most experienced hand and comes into the season with 28 points in 56 games. That translates to about 40-45 next, next season, and I think that's right where I peg him. On the left wing on the second line, I'm excited about Timo Meyer. He might be a guy that leapfrog Kane if his tro- troubles continue on the ice. Uh, instead of just the the off-season stuff and so Meyer could be a guy that you could put a little star beside he'll be a top six guy regardless but could get that plum uh, left wing assignment on the top line Thomas Hurdle's a guy that moves around a lot in this offense playing wing or center I think by default he plays center this season AJ and could be a very productive one giving him a nice two one one two punch in the middle of the ice the question mark first question mark for me is Alex Barabanov former Leaf cast-off he didn't show me anything when he came over from the KHL and didn't show much last season and limited opportunity in his first year when he jumped ship to San Jose. Did pick up a total of eight points. Maybe there's more there than I foresee, but I didn't see it in the time that I watched. And so he'll be hard-pressed to hold on to that role in my position. Maybe Rudy Balsers threatens him. He had 17 points last season. So you can see there's a drop-off in the scoring right away when you're looking at the bottom six wingers that are threatening to move up Maybe. Nick Bonino, a guy that you have a lot of time for, properly cast here as a third-line center. I think they, they'll be happy if he gets somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 points. And uh, John Leonard, a guy with who has some upward ability that hasn't shown yet, 13 points in a limited role last year. Maybe he's a guy that threatens to round out the top six and flips from the left side to the right side in place of Barabanov. Beyond that, uh, a lot of coin flips and, and a lot of depth guys that will stay in the bottom 9 to 12 range, AJ. I'm not excited about too many others here. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, as much as we, we may not want to talk about it a ton, I do think we have to touch on the Evander Kane situation for, for two factors here. One, um, the league is investigating the, the claims that he bet on NHL games, which you can't do. Um, so the league is expected, based on what we heard from Bill Daly today, actually, the league's expected to announce something on that prior to training camp. So that'll give a little bit of clarity there. Um, the other factor, though, is that in light of all that going on, there were reports. I have not seen whether they've been you know, verified or, or expanded upon, but there were reports that Kane's not really wanted in the locker room anymore, that, that his teammates don't really want him around. And, and that's a that's a big concern. Like, let's let's call that what it is. I mean, that's a problem if the rest of the locker room, regardless of whether he gets hit with a suspension or not. The fact that other players reportedly in the locker room don't want him around, that's that's a, a factor. And we can't ignore that. And so um, I, I will say this, if I'm looking at, uh, you know, my draft, 
I've got a big X through Evander Kane. Um, and it's not because, you know, because I'm concerned about the off ice stuff. It's just, I don't know how many games he's going to play right now. Uh, if there's going to be a suspension and if, even if there's not like, is there, what sort of like chemistry is he going to have with the other guys on, on the team right now? And so there's too many questions for me right now. Now, if my draft happens three, four weeks from now, you know, and, and I know what sort of suspension we're going to face, if any, and I know, um, you know, that all this stuff has been blown out of proportion by comments that the team makes, whether they're true or just, you know, your usual press duties, then, then maybe that changes. So um, I'll move us on from there, but it, it does bear noting that there are some serious concerns about his availability. Uh, defensively, we're looking at, uh, the same group we saw last year, Marco Fier- Mario rather Fierro with Brent Burns, who had 29 points last season. Uh, Nikolai Kuz- Kuznov uh, with Eric Carlson, who had 22 points last season. And then actually my favorite pairing of this entire six-pack, uh, Radim Simic and Mark Edward Vlasic, who are really some of the best third-line shutdown guys, I-, I think, in this division and possibly around the league. The reason I mentioned the point totals, for Burns and Carlson is they weren't great, especially when you consider how much money those guys are making. And, and I looked it uh, up courtesy of our friends at cap friendly here, Carlson, who's making 11 and a half million dollars per, per season right now uh, is one of the worst in the league in terms of cost per point. Um, it's, it's not good uh, to be totally honest uh, there. Uh, you know, he's making a lot of money, and not putting up any sort of production. And it puts him on pace. You know, some of the names at the similar cost per point threshold here, we're talking about your favorite guy, Jake Gardner. Ian Cole (laughs) is right on there. Scott Harrington. I mean, these are guys that uh, don't produce at anywhere near the level that we would expect for Eric Carlson. And he's making $11.5 million. Uh, You know, P.K. Subban, who made uh, $9 million last year, he's in this kind of same range as well. So is 22 points fine for a lot of defensemen? Sure. Is it fine for Eric Carlson? Absolutely not. And I think both him and Brent Burns need to figure out a way to be better. That's how I see those two. Um, You can't look at their production outside of the lens of their contract. I I just think you can't. Paul, what's your take on it? I I think you hit the nail on the head, but does somebody take a flyer on these guys if they slip to a mid-round situation, I, I would take a flyer on Brent Burns over Carlson. But that's—I I wouldn't waste an early pick on one of these defensemen to make to uh, echo your feelings about them. They just have to have shown me more in the last year or two. Both of them really taking a downturn in their scoring. Uh, they were both uh, one year. They were one-two in the league not so long ago. AJ, if I recall, and uh, what a fall from grace that's been. Uh, if there's anything to feel good about Nisov and Ferraro their partners do have some offensive skill Ferraro had 17 points uh, playing alongside Burns that translates to about 30 35 a decent year for him uh, I could see him being a guy that continues to show a bit of an upturn in fortunes and he'll be tasked with being a key guy in this defense corps for years to come He's shown enough already for me to, to know that he's the best of a lot there, uh, aside from Burns and Carlson. And you wonder what they got in Nisov, a guy who will get a chance to show his wares alongside Carlson. But 
really. I wouldn't take an early round flyer on the two big guys here, but would keep them in mind if they they fall and maybe you take a chance on them maybe in one of the later mid mid to later rounds. Uh, once you've got a couple of guys ahead of them, I would be more comfortable at that point. In terms of the goalie tandem, AJ, it's a new look, but they brought a guy back uh, as one of the guys. Jaden Zimmer has been with San Jose before, and uh, he brings a 15-5-2 and two record that he carved out in Carolina last year with a fine 265 goals against average. Aiden Hill comes over from, I believe, it's Arizona, and he had a 9-9-1 and one record with them and a 274 goals against. So the numbers that they put up in their respective situations last year will be hard-pressed to be repeated because they're simply playing with a team that's not as good as the two that they were with last season so I think there's going to be a split in terms of the games played here Aiden Hill hasn't had a, a workload of any significance in the NHL It'll be interesting to see how he handles it but I could see him and Reimer getting about 40 starts each well here's the problem the reason Aiden Hill hasn't had any sort of significant workload is because when he has gotten to the NHL level he's gotten hurt like, yeah. you can't stay healthy. Yeah. And, look, we talked about how much I don't like Mike Smith. I'm still going to say this is the worst goaltending tandem in this division. Like, just you bring in a veteran guy who's, you know, uh, Reimer's high is 44 games. He, he's played more than 40 games just twice in his career. Now, he has a very long career, has made a, a successful way of it in either splitting starts or uh, as the number two guy. And that's probably what we're going to see here. But if Aiden Hill gets hurt like he has every other season, are you really expecting Reimer to play upwards of 55, like 60 games? Like that just seems unrealistic to me. Um, and, and I really don't think this is a successfully set up tandem heading uh, into the season. Well, we'll talk about our next club, uh, our newest club, as it were. So everybody's new on the team this year. That's the Seattle Kraken who went through their draft process and have put together a, a pretty decent group of guys. Some of them have also been additions from, from outside of the draft process. So we'll start with what projects as, as their first line, but I will stress how fluid these absolutely are more. So, you know, lines are fluid on every team, but when you talk about a group of guys that hasn't played together ever <laughs> in this sort of grouping, um, you might have a few guys that played stints uh, together on, on teams throughout their careers, but it's a, a wide open situation and anybody can move up. But right now, looks like we'll have Jaden Schwartz, Jared McCann, and Jordan Eberly, or the Triple J line if they want to, if they're looking for nicknames already. That That's what I would go with here. Um, they'll figure to be the top pairing. And that's a significant upgrade for a guy like Jared McCann, who is uh, locked into the third line center role or a wing opportunity when he was with Pittsburgh. Um, this will give him the ability to play his natural position, I think. And, and I think he could benefit from that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him push for 40, 45 points in a full season, maybe even 50 um, you know, when he's locked into that spot, they've got Marcus Johansson, Alex Wenberg and Jonas Donskoy as the second group. Uh, the player I'm most excited here about this is Donskoy, another guy who, uh, you know, has been on, on down San Jose teams the last couple of years. And I think could benefit from having uh, to be blunt about it. Some more talented players uh, around him. Third line looks like Brandon Tanev. Kelly Yarncrock and Mason Appleton. Look, this is going to be a hard line to play against. Like Brandon Tanev has the speed and the grit. 
Carly, uh, Kelly Riongrock is in the same boat. And then you also have a guy like Mason Appleton who like others on this team was kind of stuck in, in a third line role, occasionally got second line opportunities with Winnipeg, but their top six was so kind of cemented into place. There wasn't really anywhere for him to go. So he could really benefit from that as well. And then rounding it out, Colin Blackwell, Morgan Geeky, Riley Sheehan, all could factor into the bottom six or move up a little bit along with guys like Nathan Bash and Ryan Donato. They do have Yanni Gord as well, um, but he's not going to be ready to start the season. He probably won't be back until late November. That will likely shift a guy like Jared McCann down. I think Yanni Gord would almost immediately slide into the first line center. Maybe they put him on wing, um, but I do think he'll be a factor once he's healthy and ready to go. Paul, what do you make of Seattle's offseason here? You know what? For the, first season. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they have a number of credible options on the wings. I really am excited for the fact they have more than four guys that I think are capable top six wingers. You touched on all of them. Schwartz and Everly will get the first crack at the top line. I think they've proven enough in their careers to merit that situation. But Donskoy is no slouch. And, and Marcus Johansson's been a power play specialist in, in previous stops. So keep an eye on those guys. The center position is the one where, where you said Gord until he's back. Uh, it's the second line situation is going to go to Alex Wenberg. I don't know that he's ideally suited as a number two guy. So that's a bit of a situation to keep an eye on and hope they can tread water offensively until Gord can make his debut. Kelly Yarncrock, a credible third line option. Mason Appleton is a guy that could be uh, a guy that surprises here and maybe threatens to take a position away from a guy like a Marcus Johansson, for instance, uh, as a guy with some offensive upside. Same for Ryan Donato. So they have options galore among the wings and they have a, a hold uh, to plug a finger in the dike until uh, until Gord is healthy and that'll be uh, Wenberg's responsibility. If he makes good on it, put a star by his name because he'll be a 50-point guy if, if that turns out and that'd be a great season for him. The defense pairings, I was surprised that Calgary would make Mark Giordano available. I thought he was going to ride off into the sunset as the captain of, of uh, the Flames after a long and distinguished career with them, but so it goes. He gets to try a new gig in Seattle, and I, I think he's the team leader here and uh, will play a key role in the dressing room as well as on the ice, continuing to log big minutes uh, as long as he can stay healthy. I do think he's got a very good partner if they keep Jamie Alexiak alongside him. I see big things for Alexiak here, AJ. I think he's going to be the top-scoring defenseman. I could see uh, a 40-point season out of him. He's got a big shot. And he'll be with Giordano. I think you could see two defensemen on this power play. If they keep them together, you'll see this tandem play a lot of power play time. But Alexiak could be the guy that emerges as the power play linchpin. Linchpin B or C, depending on Giordano's involvement, will be Vince Dunn, another guy who was behind a couple other guys in St. Louis, never really got the chance to shine offensively. Nonetheless, when given the opportunity, he showed me enough to think that there's a lot of talent there at both ends of the ice. So a good third option offensively. Beyond that, you're looking at a handful of guys who are, are placeholders or more defensive-minded defensemen. I don't think any of Adam Larson, Carson Soucy, or Kale Fleury or even Jeremy Lozon can be counted on for big offensive numbers. I don't know if you see the situation differently, but I think they have three very good options uh, offensively on the back end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see it uh, the same way you do. And, and I love what they did with their, or might do, I, I should say might do with their pairings here as we project them. I, you know, I love a Jamie Alexiak 
big, strong, solid shutdown guy with a Mark Giordano or an Adam Larson with a Vince Dunn. Like, I really think they've done a, a fantastic job putting a, a shutdown guy to with a, a more offensively-minded, free-willing uh, option here. So I, I really like this this group. Another group that I do like for this team is is the goaltending, and they've got uh, Philip Grubauer, who they brought in uh, off his se- uh, season in Colorado, which is crazy that Colorado wouldn't give this guy the, the contract he wanted. It's not like they broke the bank here. Six years, yeah, that's a long time, but he's, you know, he's only 29, so I, I don't hate the term on that. And $35.4 million total, like that breaks down pretty manageable. I, I can't believe that Colorado let a Vesna Trophy winner like walk away, uh, or Vesna Trophy candidate rather walk yeah. away. Yeah. Um, we'll get into more of that as as we continue this show. But um, so to have him with uh, Chris Dreger as as the number two to maybe share some starts, I, I think is a really good tandem here. You know, forty games last season for Grubauer in. Colorado, that was a career high. So he hasn't really, in part because of, uh, you know, the COVID shortened seasons and stuff the last two years, he hasn't been asked to take on a heavy workload. So I think having a solid guy like Chris Dreger behind him to potentially absorb some of those games, I, I think a 60-40 split uh, is is pretty reasonable here in, in terms of, you know, percentage of, of the starts. Uh, Paul, do you, do you think Grubauer takes a bigger share or no? I like your call there, and and it's based on Dreger as a very credible uh, 1B here. He has shown very well in cameo appearances in Florida the last couple of seasons. For my money, he play, outplayed Bobrovsky, who played more of the games in Florida the last couple of seasons, but every time they stuck Dreger in for any period of time, he did put up numbers like he did all of last season, the 207 goals against average. Who wouldn't take that? in 23 decisions. I think, I don't know that you can expect he'll win two out of every three starts like he did last year with an expansion team, but I do think he gives them a credible credible presence in the number two hole and gives them the opportunity to play Philip Grubauer no more than 50 times this year. So I see maybe a 50 and 32 split in terms of the goaltending starts and uh, credible options in both cases. I, like you, was surprised Colorado would let uh, Grubauer walk after posting that sparkling 39-1 and record with a 195 goals against. Great numbers in the the goalie tandem here. Uh, That's another area that won't be a concern for the expansion club, I don't think. In Vancouver, this is a team that made a few changes, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about one of them in the top six forward ranks, AJ. They had to fill in on the second line, and they did, by bringing in Connor Garland, I think this guy's going to remind older fans of a guy like a Darcy Tucker when he played in the NHL, a feisty guy with a, with a nose for the net, and, and Connor Garland has shown that. He, he's kind of like... Uh, there's some several guys in the league now, like Gallagher in Montreal, Hyman in, in Edmonton. That, that's the quality of player that Garland is, and he'll fill in nicely in a second scoring line alongside Bo Horvat and Nils Hoaglander. I expect him to take a big second step. All of these guys should threaten somewhere between the 40 and 55-point range. It's the top line, though, that's going to carry the mail. And how healthy is Elias Pedersen going to be? That's the big question, AJ. He had an injury-plagued season last year. 
topped out at only 21 points in a handful of games. Brock Besser and JT Miller give him quality wings to work with, both just a shade below point-a-game players last year. So that means they should be threatening 60 to 70 points this year if they get a full season out of those guys. And if they do, that means Pedersen will have done his job, and he should be a point-a-game player to lead this offense. Beyond that, it's depth options like Tanner Pearson. Jason Dickinson is an interesting guy to look at if uh, one of the two centers falter he'll be a guy that they look to to fill in that role Vasily Podkolzin fills out the right wing on the third line he's a he's a guy that comes in from the KHL with some pedigree so you wonder if he uh, will threaten uh, a top six position or could be the guy they look to in case of injury up there and beyond that uh, Matthew Highmore might be the best of the the rest Michael Furland it should be noted Missed all of last season with concussion injury, injuries and uh, is likely to retire is the latest news we heard from him, his situation. But uh, it's too bad because this guy had a lot of similar traits to Connor Garland. It would have been a nice, see, nice to see him try and fit in here, but I'm not very optimistic based on the news that I've heard. Yeah, I think the, the trade that went down is, I think, forever going to be called. Maybe not forever, but at least at the onset here is if you had to pick a name, right? It was Oliver ekman Larson trade, of which Connor Garland was included. I would not be surprised by the end of this if it became the Connor Garland trade, because I do think he was the biggest, most significant piece that was moved here. Um, you know, for Vancouver, I... I don't hate the deal, you know, bringing on Ekman Larson. He certainly wasn't, you know, he's not cheap. The amount of retained salary was pretty minimal, but you got Connor Garland and then you dumped three bad contracts <laughs> for, you know, Roussel, Beagle, Erickson. Yeah. They had to give up the ninth overall pick. That's a significant deal. But I think if Garland heads the way that we expect he could, I think that first round pick for Garland is pretty fair. Um, and then, you know, Ekman Larson for the second round pick and dumping guys like it, it seems like a pretty even trade. And maybe eventually Vancouver would be considered the winner again off the heels of what Garland may or may not do. So he's the player. I agree. I'm most excited to see what happens with him this season and, and how that all shakes out. Speaking of Oliver Ekman Larson. He projects for us right now to be on the second pairing, which might be a surprise in some circles. But when you have a guy like Quinn Hughes as kind of the face of your blue line, he racked up 41 points last season. And honestly, with Elias Pettersson injured, really, I would say maybe the face of the team last year. Um, and he will pair with Tyler Myers, Ekman Larson with Travis Hamanick. I love these pairings, Paul. I got to say, Myers has a little bit of offensive upside, um, but you know, he's, he's obviously a more defensively minded player, 21 points last season. Hamannick is exactly that. Um, Hughes will take the number one power play. So there would be, if I'm, you know, in a keeper league and I have, you know, only four or five, six keepers to maybe consider, I might dump a Neckman Larson only because I don't think he'll be on that top power play unit. I think he's going to be on the second group. Obviously, as we've talked, teams can use two, you know, defensemen on the same number one power play unit. But I think San Jose would be a good indication that maybe that doesn't work um, when they brought in Eric Carlson and tried to do that. So for me, um, if I'm thinking about Ekman Larson in a limited keeper league, I might dump him. If you're in a salary uh, salary league where you have to kind of pay whatever you had him, maybe he's worth dumping there as well. 
um, just because I don't know that his production is going to go up with a new team um, and might suffer a little bit because he doesn't get those prime opportunities there anymore. Paul, what do you think? You know what? People are going to look at Quinn Hughes' line, AJ, and they're going to cringe when they see the plus minus. And that, that sets him apart from a lot of the other top scoring defensemen. So if plus minus is a factor in your league, let me make you feel a little bit better. Tyler Myers is going to insulate him. He's a very good defensive defenseman, and he too has some offensive upside. If those two guys can play together on a team that I think is going to be at least marginally improved this season based on the health of their number one center, I think it could be a, a better-looking pick uh, when you think about Quinn Hughes and you're rating the top defenseman overall, including that plus-minus mark. So keep an eye on that situation and uh, see if you can make it work for yourselves. I agree with you. Oliver ekman Larson is going to be the second uh, power play specialist that they look forward for to, uh, to manage things there. But a guy who's waiting in the wings is Jack Rathbone, AJ, and he's looking like he's going he's gonna to get his feet wet in a third pairing situation here alongside Tucker Pullman. And I think that he's shown enough in his minor league career to, to have some, for me to have some confidence to say that they have uh, a third option in terms of scoring on the back end and possibly a good second one if Oliver ekman Larson falls prey to the injury woes that have plagued him in the last few years. Ole Uolivi, another guy who is not too far removed from an outstanding junior career, is another guy who has an offensive upside. Hasn't yet shown in the NHL in limited role last year he didn't get too many points but i think he too has that that ability so they have a wealth of offensive options if you're looking deep deep into your pools uh, rathbone is a guy that you could target and uh, feel good about uh, as a bit of an insurance policy who will get some time uh, particularly if ekman larson falters aj what about the goaltending tandem here what do you think about thatcher denko and yarrow halak as a pairing to tend the nut to twine in uh, vancouver well, I think you might have to like put last season off. You know, when you think about the fact that they missed Elias Pettersson for much of the year, um, you know, I, I think you have to cons- consider Demko's numbers in that kind of insulated vein. Yes, a losing record going 16, 18, and 1, um, but his goals against average, it could be better, um, but 285 is not terrible. Uh, and he was playing, you know, career high games, uh, and he faced a lot of rubber. Look, his save percentage was actually the best of his career at nine one five. So that that's you know improving there. The team around him getting better. I, I think you have to maybe put off the the record at least when you look at it. In terms of the backup, I, I think Yaroslav Halak is a, a quality addition. I don't know that he brings you much more you know improved than what they had in Braden Holpe I I think they're kind of in about the same vein with one exception being that Halak is kind of used to being the number two guy shit shit, split share guy um, as I stumble over that one (laughs) whereas Braden Holpe was like a full-time starter right so it you know he came into it and kind of the first time dealing with that situation, being a number two, that's something that Yaroslav Halak is more used to. And so uh, it, it could balance out. But overall, I don't think it's a drastic improvement in the goaltending. I just think we're going to see better numbers from Demko based on the rest of the team getting better. 
Okay, partner, I'm not going to change the rating on the show just because of your slip up there. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll keep it family friendly going forward. At least we'll do our best. But uh, Thatcher Denko signed the big contract, so the club is committed to him for the next five seasons, including this one, at $5 million per year. So they believe that the 25-year-old uh, showed only a glimpse of what he could be as a, a uh, the number one guy going forward. I think he did rest the job away from all competitors last season, and they're placing that faith in him. I think he's going to get upwards of 50 starts here. And Halak, a credible backup at age 36. He, he showed no signs, a little, a little bit of signs of slowing down, I'll say, last year. Uh, injuries took him out a little bit. and uh, But otherwise, very serviceable uh, as a number two guy. And it didn't cost him that much to get him back in, saving some money on the departed Braden Holtby. So uh, pretty decent-looking goaltending tandem, I'll say, for the Canucks. And we round out our look at uh, this eight-pack in the Pacific with the Vegas Knights, A.J., you have the first word here. <laughs> well, I mean, look, we'll, we'll, we'll put off what I want to talk about here until, <laughs> until we get there. So uh, we'll, we'll look at the forwards first. We'll ease into it. But the one thing I will say about the forward compliment is we have talked that one of the weakest parts of this lineup is the center position. I don't think there's any question about that. And they fixed that by bringing in Nolan Patrick, who hasn't played much due to concussion issues the last couple of years, Um, you know, missed an entire season. Yes, he played in 52 games last year, but only nine points to show for it. Like, that's not fixing your weakest position, in my my opinion. So, um, you know, Evgeny Dadnoff comes in. That's a nice uh, acquisition, and I didn't think they had to really give up much for it in terms of, you know, Nick Holden and a 2022 third-round pick. So I, I like the Dadnov acquisition in like just an isolated look at that, but you didn't address the position. You added another winger. That's not what this team needs. They've got Max Pacioretty moving on the first line on the left, Mark Stone on the right, Jonathan Marchessault, second line on the left, Riley Smith on, on the right here, even Matthias Janmark for that third line. Like I like the, the wingers here. They've got great wingers, but then down the middle, like, you're really going to go into the season again? Chandler Stephenson is your number one center. 35 points last year, not bad, but I just don't think he's a number one center. William Carlson, 39 points as your second. Nolan Patrick, nine points, as I said, last year. Like, it's just not, you know, Chandler Stephenson and William Carlson are both second-line centers. And then you add in, you know, Nolan Patrick. If they, Instead of getting Dadnoff, if they had gone out and gotten a first-line center – then look, you're talking about a really deep group of having Stephenson as the second line, William Carlson in the third line, or, or vice versa. Um, I, I think those guys, whoever ended up in the third, would be in a really good spot, and you'd have a really good third liner that could play some matchups here, and they just don't have a center still, and I think it was their biggest problem heading into the season. I didn't even mention Alex Tuck, who's going to be out for a while due to uh, a shoulder injury, but another solid winger on this team, I don't know if they're thinking about moving somebody, converting somebody. Paul, what do you think here? You know what? Uh, let me pick up on the last thing you said. Did they convert somebody? They have a couple of guys down in the depth chart, Brett Howden and Keegan Golisar, who've played some center in the past. 
Howden was a pretty good junior at that position, uh, but he's a couple of years removed from that. So do they experiment with these guys a lot in the season and have them try and challenge for, to move up in the roster? Until then, Stevenson is a placeholder, like you suggested, not your prototypical first-line center. He did get 35 points in between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, but those are two of the best wingers that he could have asked for. And maybe you would have got 35 points playing center, center between. At least, Paul. At you least know, I'm, I'm AJ's agent, <laughs> folks, so i got to talk him up because they call me Mr. 10%. And uh, I'm in for that with AJ's talents. I've seen him skate. <laughs> That's a lie. I haven't. you got to send me a clip, pal. But uh, uh, No, no need to put that out on me either. <laughs> in any case, uh, I think you take a flyer on Howden or Colasar late, late in your draft to see if they can factor into this offense because if they get a chance to play with the quality of wingers that they offer here in the first two lines with Stone and Pacioretty or Marchesol and Smith, that's really good company and a great place for these guys to land. But until then, Chandler Stevenson, who got 35 points in 56 games, looks to me like at best a 50-point center here, and you need more than that out of your first liner. William Carlson, in his first year with, with Vegas, had more goals than he had points last season. I mean, in this abbreviated season, we'll remind people, but 39 points was his his uh, total for 56 games. That uh, maps out to about 60 points in, a, in an 82-game schedule. Again, a little shy of where you want your number one center, but at least Carlson uh, has shown in the past that he's capable as a top six center to produce uh, scoring at a regular level. Chandler Stevenson is in there by default, in my opinion, and they need to upgrade that position. Maybe Roland Patrick lives up to that former second overall billing. I know that a friend of ours out in uh, Vegas, uh, Daniel Negrano, Real Kid Poker, is the Twitter handle, strong supporter of our show. He is has faith in Pat, had faith in Patrick when he was drafted, and uh, I, I think he's hoping against hope that uh, that he may be an answer too. But uh, he falls into the question mark mold with Howden and Colasar until they solve that riddle. Uh, this team is not going to be as good as they could ultimately be. And the defense pairings, I love the look of this top four, and they have credible options beyond that. Alex Martinez, Alec Martinez and Alex Pietrangelo form an, uh, an impressive uh, top pairing. Both of these guys have an offensive upside to their game and play well in their defensive end, so they won't hurt you at either end of the ice. And Pietrangelo should be one of the top defensemen picked despite a modest scoring season last year. I think he reverts to much more normal totals. I think he should be 50-plus points easily this season in this mix. Uh, Martinez should be around maybe 35 to 40 in my opinion. And Shea Theodore is a guy who anchors the second unit and he was the highest scoring defenseman this last year. I think he'll, he'll challenge Pietrangelo again for that role and, and he should be upwards of 50 points as well. So the offense is in good hand, capable hands on the back end and it's surrounded by three other guys one of which may have an offensive upside. I'll point to Zach Whitecloud in that regard. He's shown glimpses of an offensive game. Beyond that, they fill in the six-pack with Braden McNabb, who's got some size and physicality to him, and Nicholas Haig, who had 17 points last season. So a very good defense group here, in my opinion. I agree on principle, but I have to look at Petrangelo again in the lens of his contract. $8.8 million is the cap hit. Uh, if you look at those six guys you mentioned, guess who had the worst cost per point uh, right. in that group? Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes in at like $382,000 per point. Like That's simply not good enough. 
uh, and is right up there in, in those uh, Eric Carlson numbers. It's not quite as bad as Carlson was. He was over 500, uh, 500K per point, but it's certainly not good. So they need to get more absolutely out of Alex Pietrangelo just to, you know, warrant the contract. Now, I do think, I agree, uh, with a full 82-game campaign and maybe another year with the new system, Maybe he can get back to being a 50-point guy, uh, something he's done you know, four, uh, four times uh, in his career, all with St. Louis. This last season, again, shortened has to be considered a factor, but it was his worst statistical season of his career, and that includes the 2012-13 lockout shortened season. He put up less points than that year as well. So, uh, you know, the games played is a factor, but you need more out of the guy who's making the most money. And this leads us into the goaltending tandem. And, uh, so they are going to go into the season with Robin Leonard as the starter here. He went 13, four and two last year, decent numbers considering, you know, he, he dealt with injuries, didn't have, um, you know, didn't have a, a lot of opportunities to play only played in 19 games. Uh, pretty low for him. And then they're going to use uh, Laurent Brossois as the number two guy. He, another one that did not get a lot of opportunities, but nobody playing behind Connor Hellybuck is going to get a lot of opportunities. That's just the way it is. Hellybuck plays a ton of games. Brossois in action for just 14 of them last year. So, um, look, the guy, you have a Vesna Trophy winner on the team. Who's that? Yes. Uh, well, you know, Paul, we'll just, we'll just uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, in case you were wondering. Um, but you have a Vesna Trophy winner on the team. Yes, I get the cap hit, $7 million. That's a lot of money. Robin Leonard making five for his part. So, you know, $12 million tied up in your cap. That's not going to let you go out and get guys, you know, uh, you know, be active in the market. And, and you have to be cap compliant. I understand all that. But the guy wins the Vesna trophy and you trade him away for nothing, literally nothing because the prospect that they got back, they already waived. They got rid of the one guy they got back in this trade. Like I just, it makes no sense to me. You'll never convince me that this was a good organizational move to just hand over a Vesna trophy winning uh, netminder. For, for absolutely nothing. Yes, you get the cap relief. I, I understand that. And that has, you know, is certainly a factor. But, you know, if you knew you weren't going to get anything from Flurry, why not trade Robin Leonard? Who maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe more people thought he had more value because the cap hit $2 million less. Um, so maybe that, you know, would have been more attractive to other teams. Um, but you'll never convince me a team is better for having traded away the Vesna Trophy winner. Not going to happen in any realm. I sense a Twitter fight. I sense a Twitter fight. <laughs> Mr. Negrano, I believe it's your serve. In any case, my thoughts on the goalie tandem. Robert Leonard is clearly going to be tasked to be one of those workload goalies, AJ, because I don't have a lot of faith that Brossois can handle much more than 25 games. So that means that Leonard is going to be approaching 60 starts. And uh, he's a big, big guy, and I wonder how that's going to sit with his uh, his physical makeup. That could be an interesting thing to watch, but if he does manage the workload, he should be among the leaders in the league in goalie wins, in my opinion. 
I wonder if yours differs. I can't wait to see our predicted order of finish. But I'll, I'll finish by saying, sure, they were in a bit of a tough jam with $12 million in the goalie situation uh, with the departed flurry being the lion's share of that. I think they had to shed it and kind of bite the bullet. And they have a very credible option in Leonard, in my opinion. We'll see how it all shakes out. It'll be up to him to manage that workload. And that's a big question mark here. I say yes. I, I suspect my partner says no, which takes us to our predicted order of finishing the standings. I'm just looking at it now, and I can't wait for you to go through it. Well, Paul, the, the interesting thing without giving away everything here is if you look at our list that we have up here, they are exactly the same order with one major, major exception. Like the, the teams are all placed in the same spot yeah. when you move one. Uh, for me, Edmonton is is probably the best team. I love their four complement. Obviously, the big names there, but uh, you know, I like the rest of the group here. the The Hyman acquisition, I think, was good. I'm questionable about Duncan Keith, but I do think their defense is probably better than it has been in the past. Obviously, it'd be even better with Miko Koskinen or, or not. I'm sorry, Oscar Kleffbaum, or with a goaltender other than Mike Smith. Um, but I do think ultimately they just have so much firepower that this is the best team in the league. I like Vancouver in the number two spot here. They're, uh, you know, Demko another year in Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen healthy. I talked about the Connor Garland acquisition. I think the Kings are going to be a factor this year. They've got, they still got the veteran goaltender and quick. They've got Cal Pedersen. I talked about their top nine and how much I, I love the top nine there. Calgary, comes in fourth for me uh, again you know some of the the pieces that they have I, I do think uh, are are a factor here I like the Blake Coleman acquisition a guy that's got some winning pedigree coming into the team I think that's good for them this is where I land on Vegas in the fifth spot and I think probably out of the playoffs this year look I do think Robin Leonard is still a good goaltender uh, I, I'm not trying to knock him um, and I'm trying to take that, you know, that decision out of it because I do think Robin Leonard is a quality netminder. I think they didn't get enough from Petrangelo. I think they need more from him. And I don't think they address the weakest part of this team, which was the center position. They don't have a center. And sorry, Paul, Brett Howden is not, even if you move in the center, he's not fixing the problems with this team. At best, he's a third line center. Even if, like that guy's not going on the second line to be any better here. So one there, I mean, they're one injury away from a disastrous center group right now, you know, Stephenson placeholder Carlson, same thing. One of those two guys gets hurt. Like it's, it's just down in the dumps in terms of center. They're going to have to move stone or move Dadnoff or, or March assault Patrick. Like one of those guys is going to have to play center. So for me, because they didn't address their biggest need, they got rid of their arguably their best player. You know, he's the only one that won a trophy last year. Um, I just think they're not going to be as good. And I think they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time. After that, I've got Seattle coming in six. Uh, I like what they did. I just, you know, I don't think we're going to see a recreation of Vegas. I don't think we're going to see the same thing there. Um, and then San Jose and Anaheim round out the bottom of the group. I think Anaheim has, if I'm an Anaheim fan, I think they have more to look forward to. Um, San Jose just hasn't been able to put it together with the pieces that they've had in the past. And those are the same pieces that they're going into this season. with. so uh, that's, that's where I see it. Uh, if you followed along, you basically have Paul's list, except for the excitement of where Paul 
is going to put Vegas. All right. Well, I'm putting them at the top of the loop, AJ. I just think there's too much talent on the wings and on defense, and I do have a little more faith in Leonard than you. So I think they're going to figure it out at center ice, and if they can get a 50-point season out of Chandler Stevenson right now, I think they'll take it. 50 to 55 uh, with those wingers should be attainable and uh, they look like a pretty good team last year with him in that role as well going as far in the season as they did and uh, the defense I like their top four a lot so I I don't think there's too many holes I do agree with you that they like an upgrade in the middle of the ice and uh, maybe they find it by dealing somebody like uh, dad enough he's a guy that's a bit extra when you consider the depth on the wings uh and especially if Alex Tuck comes back healthy in the second half, they, they got him as insurance for a top six wing position too. So very strong on the, on the flanks, but would like an upgrade. I, I agree with you in the middle of the ice, but I don't think it's a, a deadly uh, poor situation to put Chandler Stevenson out there again. Hope maybe there's some growth, growth in him as a player too. And, and uh, they have other guys that are going to threaten that position as well. Maybe Colasar is another name to keep an eye out. So uh, look for somebody to step up and, and help them in that regard. But I think there's too much talent on this team for me not to look at them as number one, particularly when I see the teams that are competing against them with major weaknesses as well. You mentioned Edmonton might have the class of the, the loop in terms of talent at forward and defense, but that goaltending situation is maybe the worst in this division, apart from San Jose, and that takes them down to second place, at least for me. So it's with a caveat there. Vancouver is a team that will hope for a rebound, and it'll be based around their recovery of their center, Elias Pettersson. Uh, Los Angeles were both high on this team to make a major jump in the standings. I picked them to be the wild card entry, finishing fourth in this division. I see Calgary taking a step backward, and it has a lot more more to do with the fact they lost a leader lost a leader in their defenseman Giordano and also the uncertainty that I have about Matthew Tuchuk stepping into that role after some troubling headlines uh, out of him, his camp that maybe said that he wanted out so that's got me putting them fifth I got Seattle in sixth place maybe they leapfrog Calgary at best and if Calgary doesn't achieve what they, uh, Los Angeles doesn't achieve what I have in, in mind for them, maybe Seattle sneaks into that wild card position. It's going to be close between four, five, and six, but I'll say LA, Calgary, and Seattle in that order. And like you, I agree with San Jose and Anaheim. So uh, interesting uh, discussion there about the, the, the fortunes of the Vegas team. I guess that's the highlight of this episode, AJ. Apart from that, any final thoughts from you before we sign off? Uh, I have to say, I think Seattle has the best uniforms and logo in the league. Uh, you know, the the unveiling there. I haven't picked a player. Maybe I'll get myself. You know, I when Flurry went to to Vegas, I got a Golden Knights Flurry jersey. Maybe I'll do the same. I'll get a a, a Tanev, uh, a Brandon Tanev uh, Seattle Kraken jersey because those are some of the best jerseys in the league. I'm excited to see uh, what they can do on the ice. Obviously, we both put them in the sixth spot, so we're not expecting a playoff team, but uh, it'll be a fun atmosphere and nice to have 32 teams across the league, obviously. Uh, and then, uh, you know, for the, the teams in the, the Pacific here, you basically added Seattle and got rid of Arizona. I, th- I don't know that that's an upgrade. I think Seattle is going to be a harder team to play against than Arizona. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to it, buddy. And we have three more of these preseason episodes to do. But uh, that wraps up our look around uh, the 
Pacific Division. Our next one, uh, next pod will feature the Central Division. Keep an eye out for that. Follow us. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 